We're going to be carrying on this morning on the theme that we've, we've had running over the, the past couple of months um, on a, a series called Prepare the Way. Now, this series has come out of a number of prophetic words that we've had both within the church and that we've heard from outside of the church, all pointing to a coming revival. And we believe as a church that this may be something that's quite widespread geographic, but we believe that God has particular plans and purposes for us here in Durham and particularly that he wants to use us as a church. And in response to that, we're having this series of preparing the way. We want to be in line with God. We want to be listening to him. We want to hear what he has to say so that when he is ready to move, we are ready to move with him. Now, over the past few weeks, I've been reading a little bit about some of the past revivals. And if you've never done that, I would highly recommend it because it is so faith building. It is so exciting hearing what God wants to say or what God wants to do in us. And one of the things that I've noticed in this is revival looks different. God uses different places, different people, different situations, and he does different things. Revival lasts different lengths of time. But there are some things that are common to revival. And that's often in how God prepares the church for it. And some of these threads that I'm wanting to look at this morning is that when God is moving in revival, there is an increased awareness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. There is an increased hunger for the word of God. And often there can be um, biblical truths that are re-established in the church. And also there is an increased urgency to pray for salvation. So in this series, we've been looking at the first few chapters of John. And I'm going to be reading today from John 3, looking at verses 1 to 21. Could you put it up? Thank you. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So at first glance, this is not a passage about revival. Revival is the outworking of this passage. Revival is a sovereign and powerful move of the Holy Spirit working where he chooses, when he chooses, how he chooses to bring revelation to a lost world that they need to be born again and that eternal life with an eternal father is available to all. And so we have in this passage an in-depth conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. We know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We also learn later in John's Gospel that he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the Council of Jewish Leaders. So he would have been a very knowledgeable man. He would have known his scriptures well. And he would also have been quite an influential man. He probably had quite a high status in, in, the, in his society. And he's come to have this conversation. Now, we don't know fully what his motivation is. We don't know if he's been sent or if he's come of, of his own. We don't really know if he's come to catch Jesus out or if he's genuinely wanting an explanation. My suspicion is the latter because Jesus actually gives him the time and goes through this with him. And so he comes to Jesus and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus has seen uh, some of the miracles that Jesus has performed. He will have heard about some of the miracles. And he recognizes that there is something divine at work here. But he's not yet willing to call Jesus anything other than rabbi and a good teacher. He's not crediting him as being God. He's seeing Jesus as his equal, a fellow teacher of the law. And so his question basically is, who are you? Why are you here? And I imagine he was probably expecting that Jesus would sit him down, have a man-to-man conversation, equal to equal. He would tell him who he is, what he's going to do, quite simply. Maybe give him a bit of theoretical evidence to back it up. And then Nicodemus could go away with with some information so he could make his own informed choice. Jesus kind of does that. But he does more than that. He looks into the heart of Nicodemus and he sees where Nicodemus is lacking. He sees the the area in Nicodemus' life where he is falling short. Nicodemus knows those scriptures in depth, but he has not seen who Jesus is yet. He has not seen this need to be born again. So this is a key message that Jesus brings to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And that was something that Nicodemus hasn't understood. He didn't know what Jesus meant by this. 
And I think in society today, we don't, people don't necessarily know what this means. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again types. You know, it's become synonymous with lively worship and hand-raising. It's become a bit of a label of a type of Christian. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus does describe why he's come. He places himself in the, in the center of history. He places himself in the center of the Trinity. He talks about the heart of the Father. He talks about his work and he talks about how the Holy Spirit brings us all together to bring salvation. He's placing himself right in the center of God and his purposes. And so we've got this verse in here, haven't we? John 3:16, the one that we all know is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God's soul of the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> we can become so familiar with that verse, can't we? But we must see the magnitude in it. Jesus is expressing the heart of the Father. That God loves his creation. God loves every one of his creation. He doesn't just love those that are conforming. He doesn't just love those that work hard. He doesn't just love the poor. He doesn't just love the needy. He loves the entirety of creation. And and he loved the, the whole of creation when creation had nothing to offer him. When creation was dead in our sins, as Paul puts it. When there was nothing in us, Jesus loved us. And God loved us enough to send his only son. And so Jesus goes on to describe the reason that he came. And he uses these two Old Testament references that Nicodemus would have recognized straight away. The first of them is he refers to himself as the son of man. Now Jesus often refers to himself in this way. And it refers to a passage in Daniel the vision that says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is a picture of unmistakable deity. This is a picture of God himself. This is a picture that um, Nicodemus would have recognized, and it's a picture of majesty, it's a picture of victory, it's a picture of glory. This is what Nicodemus would have been expecting a Messiah to be like. But then he takes this whole other illustration from, from Numbers, and he's talking about the, the, an incident where the Israelite camp was overrun with venomous snakes. And people were being bitten and they were dying. So Moses goes to God and he intercedes on their behalf. And God says to him, make a, make a serpent out of bronze and hold it up. All who look at the serpent will not die. They will live. And so Jesus is likening himself to these two very contrasting images. This majestic Messiah and this snake that's being held up. And he's talking about his death, his death on a cross. He was sent to die so that all who look to him can have eternal life. All who look to him will not perish. And so Jesus is giving Nicodemus two options, two very clear-cut options. Believe in Jesus and have eternal life, 
or perish. There isn't a middle ground. There are these two options. Now, sometimes we can struggle with this. How can good people perish? Does God make us perish just because we don't believe in him? We need to turn this on its head because when when we think about it that way, we're looking at it from the wrong angle. This verse says to us, we were already perishing. Perishing is not our punishment. Perishing is where we already are without Jesus. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And it's like if you imagine um, a lifeboat going out where there's been a shipwreck in the middle of the ocean. And as the lifeboat goes out, you've got the lifeguard reaching out to people to save them. But some of those people, they're just lying on the back floating because they're lying and they said, oh, this is great. I'm just going to lie here. You've got others that are you, um, trying to bind bits of wood together so that they can float. No, I don't need a lifeboat. I'm making my own. I can sort this out. I can some, and others are swimming for the shore. So I can make it. I can make it on my own. I can get there. But it's too far. Without the lifeboat, they will be left to perish. And Jesus is like that. He is reaching out his hand. He wants nobody to perish. He came to save the world. But he gives us that choice. We can reach out our hands and allow him to pull us onto that lifeboat. Or we can stay. We we are given that choice. And so when we make that choice to trust in Jesus, to trust him for that salvation... Jesus says in here that the Holy Spirit comes and does that, does that work of being born again. We become born of the Spirit. As I've already said, prior to knowing Jesus, we are dead in our transgression. Our spirits are dead without Jesus. But the Holy Spirit comes and he takes that work that Jesus did on the cross, that work that allows us to be forgiven, that allows us to come to him, and he breathes life into our spirits. We become spiritually alive. Eternal life isn't just a life that goes on forever. It is a life in which our spirits are connected with the Holy Spirit. It's a life in communion with an eternal Father. Now, Sarah brought that picture this morning, didn't she, of that coming out of that grave. We're not saved to sit at the back of the grave. We're not saved to sit in the grave clothes. We are saved to, to an eternal life with a heavenly Father. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings that. So we just want to think for a moment. Who is the Holy Spirit? What are we talking about? Who are we talking about? The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and Jesus. He is equal to them. He has the same power. He has the same authority. He has the same heart. He was there at the beginning of creation, hovering over the waters. He was there parting the Red Sea when Moses needed to cross. He called down fire on the altar for Elijah. He spoke to the prophets in the Old Testament. He came down on Jesus when he was baptized. He worked through Jesus' life and he raised him from the dead. He came down at Pentecost and filled the apostles. He filled them to do miraculous works. And he gave John these amazing visions at the end of the Bible in Revelation. The Bible 
is just full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equal to God. He is God himself. So when we are talking about being connected with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being filled with the God Almighty himself. That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) And so the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into this eternal life, into this life with the Father. He wants to grow in relationship with us. He is a a person to get to know. He is not a force to learn to wield. The Holy Spirit searches the heart of God. And he makes that known to us. He wants to grow in intimacy with us. As we look towards revival, the Holy Spirit wants us to become more aware of what he is doing, of where he is going, of how he is working. And he wants to work in us. We've heard words this morning about coming into new levels of freedom. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes us into those new levels of freedom. One of the things that I mentioned earlier was that when we, when we come into revival, there is a new hunger for the word of God. The Holy Spirit and the word of God go hand in hand. Sometimes we can get the, these ideas that there's a tension between the Holy Spirit and between the word, that we, we need to be more of one or more of the other. But the two go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit himself, when we, are, when we are rightly surrendered in the Holy Spirit, he will develop such a hunger within us for the word of God. And there's a big reason for that. He wrote it. <laughs> this is one of the most amazing miracles that we have. Short of Jesus rising from the dead and saving us from our sins and the whole of creation, this <laughs> is an absolute miracle. I was listening to a podcast recently about the making of the Bible. This took over 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit inspiring people, leading people, guiding people. There are numerous authors. There are more authors than we are aware of. The Holy Spirit inspired people and brought this together. And we have this word of God. And when we read it with that power of the Holy Spirit, he takes that and he makes it known to us. He has written Jesus onto every page of this book. He has written the heart of God throughout this book. And you know, we can come and we can sit and read it, and we can sit and read it with the author himself. We can come and we can, we can wrestle with it. We can, we can question it. We can meditate on it. And we can give it back to him. And, you know, the, the number of times I say, I don't know what this bit's about. I don't know how I don't get this bit. But the Holy Spirit comes and he brings us revelation. And where we don't understand it, he makes us marvel at the mystery of it, the beauty of the complexity of it. It is the most intricately detailed book in history. Now, I don't know all of them, but I think that's probably fairly accurate. <laughs> the Bible is the glory of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the life of the Bible. When we read God's word with the Holy Spirit, we're not just reading words. Jesus was quick to say to Nicodemus, 
that he didn't understand much. (laughs) He said, you're a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. And later in John's Gospel, he says to the, uh, the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently because you believe that in them they ha- that you have eternal life. The scripture on its own will feed our intellect. When we read it with the power of the Holy Spirit, it feeds our spirit. It takes, he takes truth and he makes it real for us. He takes the words of Jesus and makes them real to us. He reveals Jesus through his word. He teaches us how to see God, the Father. He teaches us how to see Jesus. And he teaches them about himself. We need this so that we can, we can trust what the Holy Spirit is saying. Because the Holy Spirit isn't, will never tell us anything that is not in here. We need to be people of both word and spirit. The two go hand in hand. And the fact, you know, the fact that sometimes we see this tension that people say, well, we need to be more of the, we need to be more Bible based. We need to be more spirit based. The two go hand in hand. And I believe that as we head towards revival, the Holy Spirit is going to work this. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that revelation and that hunger for his word. And I believe as he does this, as he makes us people hungry after his word and hungry after his presence, we are going to be released into something more powerful than we have known. So I've just said, the Holy Spirit is a person that we get to know. He's a person, not a force, not a force to learn how to wield. He wants to get to know us, and we grow in that. And I just want to share with you some of my experience with the Holy Spirit in how, in how my relationship in one particular area with him has grown. When I first came to Emmanuel, I came from a church that wasn't particularly charismatic. It didn't deny the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. And I knew that that there were things like tongues and prophecy, but I never saw them. And I never expected to see them. And when I came to Emmanuel, it seemed like everybody was doing these things. Everybody was speaking in tongues. Normal-ish people (laughs) were coming up and prophesying. God was speaking directly to people every week, every meeting. God was part of that. Holy Spirit was at work in people's lives. And people were talking about miracles that they'd seen here in Durham. This was not my experience. And it opened my eyes to this whole new realm. But one of the things that really struck me about the difference was that every time I came to a meeting, Emmanuel, whether it was a prayer meeting, whether it was a Sunday morning meeting, or midweek meetings, there would be these times of spontaneous worship where people would be praising God just in their own words, singing to God, singing in tongues, and just caught up in worship of him. And this was new to me. And I'm going to be honest, I had two different reactions. My first reaction was, I don't know what to do. (laughs) And I felt quite awkward because I thought, I don't know what to say. And somebody might hear me. And I'm certainly not going to sing so anybody might hear me because singing is not necessarily my gifting in life. (laughs) 
so I tended to just kind of stand quietly, eyes closed, praying in my head. And I thought, yeah, that's all right. I'm meeting with God my own way. But I felt at the same time I was missing out on something. I could see something so beautiful and so intimate. I could see people being caught up in worship. I could see people just in such connection with the Holy Spirit that I sought God on it. And I came to him and I just said, I want more freedom. I want more freedom. I want to be rid of my inhibitions. I need releasing in this. And God has gradually worked in me. The Holy Spirit has gradually released me from those inhibitions. He's chipped away at some of those. And I'm at the point now where I absolutely love those times. I can't wait for them. When we can just join together, worshipping in our own words. But it's just, it's just awesome. I'm still not a singer. And... You know, if you, if you end up having to stand next to me, well, I do apologise. Take, t- take Keith's technique, he just drowns me out. And that description that, that Jesus gave of the Holy Spirit, it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, when we get into those times where we're just caught up with him in worship, I can picture that. I can picture that wind just blowing among us. I can picture that that awesome power just around us, filling us and strengthening us as we're built up in him. And I believe this morning that, that God wants to bring us into a greater level of freedom in that. We've had so many words, haven't we, this morning about coming out of that, out of that tomb, loosening those grave clothes, taking off those things that hinder us, taking off those things that stop us from coming into his presence. I believe God wants to draw us deeper this morning in those things. This isn't just for the spiritual few. Jesus says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. If you are born of the Spirit, if you have accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to take you into a greater level of freedom. And even if you have gone into great levels of freedom, there is still more. I still want God to take me to a greater level of freedom. Now, there's another couple of verses that I want to read to you that... Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Mark 16, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. Sorry, those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. As much as I love when we all worship together and when we, the Holy Spirit comes and fills, fills this room... I don't think this is talking about that. <laughs> these, these two verses, these two things that Jesus said 
were about out there. They were about going out, proclaiming the gospel, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, I read this, and to be brutally honest with you, I think, I'm not seeing this. This is not my daily experience. And I'm going to hazard a guess that there might be other people who feel the same. And if not, you can all pray for me. But you know, Jesus doesn't come to condemn us because we haven't seen this. He reveals these things to us because he wants to release us into them. And I believe that God wants to release us into these. I'm not going to say, this is not my experience ever. I'm not going to speak words over myself that will stop me from coming into that inheritance that God has for me. God wants to do this in me. And he wants to do it in you. Every single one of you. Again, he's not talking about the special people. The people, you know, the the Steve Olivers of this world. He says, these signs will accompany those who believe. If you believe, these signs will accompany you. I believe these signs will accompany me. And I'm believing God for that. The Holy Spirit is stirring us because he wants us to know the fullness of what he can do in us. These descriptions of what the Holy Spirit does. I see these when I read about past revivals. I see these when I read through the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is working through people. But the people that he uses are ordinary, everyday people. In past revivals, he's used women in their 80s. He's used young lads that have never dared speak to anyone to preach. In the Bible, he uses people who deny him. He uses people who doubt him. People who argue about who's the greatest. Jesus uses flawed people. The Holy Spirit uses flawed people. Because it is not our strength. It is his strength. It is him who does this. And the heart of revival is the spirit wanting to draw people who don't know him. He wants to bring people into that eternal life. He wants to bring people to be born again. He desires that no one perishes. He holds his hand out of that lifeboat to everyone. And as I was preparing this sermon, I felt that like, God challenged me. I was thinking about how, how much people mean to God who don't know him. And I felt like he said to me, how seriously do you take it? And, you know, I've got my list of people, my friends and family that I pray for regularly that I'd love to see saved. But I need a greater urgency. I'm too quick to look at their lives and think, they're all right. They've got a nice job. They've got a nice family. They live in a nice house. They're okay. They're fine. It'd be nice to see them say, but they're all right. But the reality is, if they do not know Jesus, they will never know forgiveness. They will never know 
the love of a heavenly father. They will never know a peace that transcends understanding. They will stay in a place of striving for happiness. They will stay in a place of bondage to their sin. And ultimately, they will never know eternity with the eternal father. So I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to call us to that place of prayer, that urgency of prayer. The Holy Spirit searches the heart of God, the heart that sent Jesus to the cross. He searches his heart and makes it known to us. That is a privilege, but we can know the heart of an almighty God, that he shares that with us. And I believe that he wants to stir us to prayer, to pray for those who are lost. God's heart is that nobody perishes. God wants to be connected with everybody. He wants everyone to choose eternal life. They won't. Not everybody will. But he wants to use us to do that. God won't show us the full extent of his feelings for the lost because we couldn't take it. I've known people who've had those experiences where God has shared his heart for those people and it is, a, it is an experience of immense grief, of immense yearning. God's heart breaks for the lost. And when people feel that, you know, it leaves them in absolute pieces. But from that place flows the most powerful intercession. I'm going to ask the band if you could come back up. As I've already said, I feel as though the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into a a place of real freedom this morning. A place where we we can grow in him, where we can step out in him, where we can trust him. So I'm just going to ask if while the band are coming up, just could everybody stand? And I'm just going to pray for us all. So I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to move among us this morning. So just as I pray, just get into that heart of receiving. Whatever that, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's hands raised, eyes closed, whatever that is for you. Lord, we thank you for your heart for us. We thank you that you went to extreme lengths for us, Lord. That you went to the cross for us, that we could know you, that we could be restored to a relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you, God, that you restore that relationship so that we can live a life with you. We can live a life in your power. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come, that you would fill us this morning, that you would come and that you would equip us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to step out in you. Lord, we pray that these words of Jesus would become the reality to us. That as we go out, Lord, as we proclaim your name, 
that you would come and that we would see those signs and wonders that point to you. Lord, would you come and would you take us deeper into your power, God? Would you equip us, God, and would you raise our faith for what you want to do among us? Lord, we love you and we want to glorify you. And as we come to, as we come towards this time of revival, Lord, I want to pray that you would use us, Lord, that we would point people to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to have a, a ministry time. If I've described the journey that I was on with the Holy Spirit, where he took me into a place of new freedom. If you feel that you need to know that freedom, freedom from your own insecurities or your own inhibitions or whatever it is that you feel holds you back from being fully released in the, in the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray with you this morning. And if you've never experienced what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, can I invite you to come up for prayer? Would the ministry team come up, please?